Today we're gonna be in Luke chapter two, starting in verse 41. And for some of you may recognize her when you see that heading, this is the 12-year-old boy Jesus in Jerusalem. So we're kind of having a little bit of time warping, but I think it's okay, I think it's good, because we're going to see um, kind of a, a cool revelation, a cool realization of Jesus' character and uh, give us some insight into who Jesus is a little bit. So we're gonna open by reading this scripture. It'll be on the screens for you. I'll read the scripture for us. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, They went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. And after three days, they found Jesus in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, can you imagine? Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them calmly, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he had said to them. And then they went down, he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And he was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Man, that story, um, I guess the most obvious thing about that story is that stands out to us is the feeling of a mother and father separated from the child for days on end. If any of you have had a child be missing for a small amount of time. Maybe kids, maybe you looked up and you couldn't find mom and dad anywhere. You can identify with kind of that panic feeling of having your child missing from you. As many of you know, Melissa and I, uh, for five years, we lived in the Philippines. So we were doing missions in the Philippines and um, we love love it over there. Asia is a beautiful place, Um, different for sure. I mean, different is an easy way to say everything is different. (laughs) Um, At Christmas time, our our tradition was to go to the beach at Christmas time. Uh, It wasn't white snow, it was the white sand. It was the off season in the Philippines, but for us, it was still warm and it was great. We'd had the place to ourselves. We'd go to the beach at, at Christmas and, you know, things were different. But one of the things that was drastically different to us coming from the West is how crowded it was. We lived in Manila. Manila is a metropolitan area about the size of Denver, but 16 million people live in that metropolitan area. Probably it's more now. It was 16 million at the time. So for us, when we think of something being crowded, you know, we might think that you know, the, the checkout lines at Target are crowded on Christmas Eve, 
Or, <laughs> um, you know, we might, like all of the self-check might be full and there might be one person waiting. So you actually have to wait a few minutes at self-check. Um, you know, maybe driving around here, it can feel crowded at times, uh, especially getting into Denver on a Friday. You know, so we have a, f- a sense of being crowded, but um, in the Philippines, when it's crowded, it's, it's crowded. I mean, it's shoulder-to-shoulder people, and you, you're just kind of going with the flow. Um, one, I can't remember what holiday it was, but one, one holiday, we were at a nearby water park with our family. The kids were little. Eleanor was probably four. Ian and Isaiah were like six and eight years old. We were there with missionary friends, so we had a kind of a group of us, and I think every other person in Manila was there as well. It was, it was crowded at the water park that day. They had a wave pool. Um, you know, there was some kids' pool areas, and, you know, the kids had a lot of fun. It was a great time. Um, it came about to be lunchtime, and I don't know why I wasn't with Melissa. I was hanging out with the other missionaries, maybe, but Melissa was going to get some food for us, and she had the three kids. So the bad guy in the story is obviously me already because I'm not helping Melissa with the kids. But she had the three kids, and she was getting food. And she happened to find a a picnic table that didn't have someone at it. So she set the three kids at the picnic table and then just went right next to that to where the food is to get some food. So she was ordering the food, and as she turns and looks back, Isaiah and Ian are at the table, and there's no Eleanor. Um, She walks up. (laughs) She walks up to the table and asks Isaiah, where is your sister? And like a four and six-year-old brother is like to do, they, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Where is she? I don't know. And obviously, immediately for Melissa, she does a quick look around and doesn't see Eleanor, and the panic sets in. Um, she searches a little bit. She kind of comes over to the shelter area where I am with some of the other missionaries, and she says, Eleanor is lost. We can't find her. So immediately we're all in search mode. Um, I think I might have found some of the security guards and told them my daughter's missing. She's a little white girl. And, um, (laughs) you know, everyone is spread out searching. You know, of course, we're thinking the worst. We're thinking someone could have taken her. Um, She could have wandered into the deep end and fallen off into the deep end of this wave pool, you know. The, the worst case scenarios start flooding our minds. Um, we were praying, obviously, pretty earnestly, and what felt like forever, I'm not sure how long it actually was, maybe five, ten minutes, um, our friend Greg Taylor finds Eleanor. She had wandered away from the table, and there was like these cages of, these bird cages, like parrots and birds of paradise and things like that. So, of course, Eleanor was right there just looking at the birds, (laughs) you know. But the panic, the panic that we felt. We could imagine what Mary and Joseph, having leaving Jerusalem and realizing Jesus wasn't there, must have felt like. You know, because... You know, they were a day's journey away. And, you know, we ask ourselves, how could this have even happened? I mean, for us, if your child's not in the car seat, you don't leave, you know? You know, but in, in Jesus' day, when you especially went to festivals like this, it was generally a family affair. So you and your family, your relatives, your relations, it could have been, you know, 50, 60, 100 people traveling with Mary and Joseph's um, family group. 
And they traveled in caravan, you know, partly just to be together, but also partly for safety. We know from the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, the roads could be dangerous. So they traveled in safety just for protection. And so it was expected of Jesus that it was the time to leave and to, you know, find family and to travel along and then to look up and realize he wasn't there. The realization for Mary and Joseph must have been immediately clear. Well, he's got to be in Jerusalem. And so immediately the worst case scenarios start coming to mind. You know, Jerusalem was a big, potentially scary place, occupied by a foreign nation, dark alleys. You know, the, the, the concern was rightfully palpable. The agony that Mary and Joseph must have felt is also contrasted by Jesus' calm, cool response <laughs> when he, she says, we've been looking for you in, gr in great anxiety. And he quietly says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, she must have been exasperated at least. You know, and it's interesting. Mary's not apologetic. For us, we, you know, when we saw Eleanor, we were likely, I'm so sorry that you were lost. I'm so sorry. Mary wasn't apologetic. She said, Jesus, why have you done this to us? We've been looking in anxiety. You know, this kind of gives us a hint. Likely, Jesus was a compliant, obedient son. Likely, he did what was expected of him. He knew what was expected, and he was likely obedient, and yet this was a departure to that behavior. And were Jesus only human, the answer that he gave might be considered mocking. It might be considered terse or cold. But in all the simplicity and boldness of his holy childhood, he expresses astonishment that they had not known where he would be and what he would be doing. He knew, Jesus knew and felt that there must be something in him, in his previous history with Mary and Joseph, which ought to make it known to them where he would be, what he would be doing. You know, it's worth noting that, you know, Jesus' age is given in this story, 12 years old, at the age of 12. And at the age of 12, in this annual festival of Passover, 12-year-old boys go with their dads before the religious leaders in the temple. And, you know, we might think of it kind of like the way we do dedication or baptisms or things like that. You know, in the Jew Jewish culture, at 12 years old, a boy went before the temple, and it was kind of their day of, of accountability. They were recognized to be able to know right from wrong, to know the law, so they were presented before the, the religious leaders on this day of, of accountability. And so for Jesus, this, I, I can't help but think that this is somehow a spiritual moment for him, a significant moment in his re realization. I mean, the things that we consider about Jesus, it's, it's sometimes hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus is God, but Jesus is also this human being who's having human being experiences and emotions. So for him, that must have been this significant moment that now I'm 
recognized as being bound by the law and bound to obey the law. So perhaps this was just his way of recognizing his godly nature and his, you know, his destiny as the Messiah. You know, we can think of a lot of ways, you know, how Jesus might have been experiencing this, but, you know, all of this is just a way to kind of help us understand what might be happening in this story. And, of course, we have to think about the author of Luke and, and what he's doing in telling us this story. You know, clearly Luke was not present when this took place. Luke was one of um, Jesus' disciples, but... Um, Clearly, this, sto- this story was recounted to him, perhaps by Mary, perhaps by Jesus himself. You know, and so in writing his gospel, Luke is placing this story here on purpose. But it also reminds me of another story at the end of the um, gospel of Luke, where Jesus is missing for three days, and where two come searching and find him on the Emmaus Road. They find him in an unexpected place, and they find him speaking unexpected wisdom. In Luke 24, it says, Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking about, to each other about the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They were discussing with this guy who joined them and was traveling the fact that Jesus had died, and they were likely expressing not only their grief and sorrow, but did we somehow get it wrong? Did we somehow miss it? Could Jesus really have been who he said he was if death could take him? And Jesus makes this reply in verse 26 that's kind of astonishing to these men. He says, was it not necessary that the Messiah would suffer these things in order to enter into his glory? Mary, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? You know, Jesus provides answers that kind of seem like they're not even associated to the question. A few moments later, as they're in the house, when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he broke it and blessed it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. So in the Gospel of Luke, in this story of Jesus lost in Jerusalem and the story of Jesus on the Emmaus Road. Luke is building this theme in the way he recounts these stories. You might summarize this theme or these stories or even the title of this message, you might summarize it in finding the Jesus that you thought you had lost. He's likely reminding us that just when we think we know Jesus and know where he is and know what he's supposed to be doing, he reveals himself to be working on a deeper level than we ever imagined. Working beyond what we could understand or what we could recognize. You know, and isn't that right, if we're honest with ourselves, isn't that right? We tend to look for Jesus where we saw him last. <laughs> you know, we tend to say, Jesus, we, we, I think we kind of get it. And so this is what you do. And then we go about our day And then we check back in and, okay, good, you're still here. Good, we're still on track. We're doing the right thing. We go about our day. And if we come back and he's not there, what's what's gone wrong? Jesus, what are you doing? Why have you done this to us? But the 
message or the encouragement to us today might be, maybe it's not what Jesus has done to us. Maybe it's that we've stopped looking for where Jesus is going. You know, thinking back to Mary and her experience at Christmas, you know, an angel visits her, gives her the prophecy that she would bear a son, even though she hasn't been with a man, that he would become the Messiah. You know, there's miraculous things happening. Her cousin, Elizabeth, is also with child miraculously. You know, there's Old Testament prophecies ringing in her ears. There's stars showing in the, in the sky. There's magi coming to, visiting, coming to visit. The miraculous is like all around. For many of us, we've been in those seasons where it seems like everywhere we look, the miraculous is taking place and God is on the move and we can see it and taste it and feel it and we know exactly what's going on. But here, 12 years after this miraculous moment, you know, perhaps the mundane has set in for Mary a little bit. You know, obviously she treasured these things in her heart, but perhaps the lack of angel visitations, maybe the Old Testament prophecies aren't ringing in her ears. It's been a while since a magi came and visited. You know, perhaps Jesus hadn't shown any signs of theological curiosity, and so his parents couldn't imagine him hanging out in the temple. Mary and Joseph simply failed to see that their baby was growing up. Finding him, of course, will normally involve a surprise. Jesus doesn't do or say what Mary and Joseph expected or what the two men on the road were expecting. It will be like that often with us as well. Every time we feel that we've come to understand Jesus, he will be ahead or perhaps staying behind while we go on without realizing it. Discipleship, being a follower of Jesus, always involves looking and finding the unexpected. You know, the scripture tells us Jesus remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's in Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight. Jesus Christ the same yesterday and, to, and forever. You know, but as our faith develops, the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to new facets of God's character through Jesus. You know, each time we re read the accounts of Jesus in the New Testament, something might seem new to us. That's because the Holy Spirit's revealing a new level of Jesus to us. Jesus ages or matures, so to speak, as we age and mature in our own spiritual maturity, our own spiritual walk. And we must be on the lookout for what he will be doing next. We must keep work or work to keep pace with him. Maybe that's speeding up, maybe that's slowing down. Why were you searching for me, Jesus said. Jesus said to this to his parents, and like, likely they, like they, we should know where Jesus is. He is wherever the Father's working. He's about his Father's business. But we aren't ready to let go of our expectations and give our, give our Jesus up to God in order to allow him to be who he, God needs him to be. 
Sometimes we're not ready to let go of our own expectations. We're not ready to accept that Jesus did not come to fulfill our wishes, our desires. He came to fulfill all that God was doing. He's not to be found in the sentiment for the way things used to be or maybe the way we wish things could be. Jesus is all about the future. Jesus was born and lived and died and rose to be about God's business of putting an end to our searching by making plain the way of God, even if that means breaking our expectations. So I think the good news for us this week, this week after Christmas, is that like Joseph and Mary, our search has come to an end. Jesus shows us the way to God. And the scary part, perhaps, is that our searching doesn't end where we may expect it. Mary and Joseph searched for three days for Jesus. And on the third day, they found him alive and well, but they did not find him among the company of relatives and family. The safe confines where they expected him among the pilgrim's caravan. They found him in his father's house, stepping into the work of God. He came to bring light to the darkness and to set all things to right. He came to become our hope, our peace, and our guide. So this morning we're reminded that among the many things that Jesus does for us is that he perfectly reveals to us the heart of the Father. While the Old Testament laws and songs and prophecies pointed forward towards the heart of God, his true nature was never fully revealed until Jesus came to be among us. Jesus said that he will that he had no will of his own, that he only did, he did nothing on earth except the will of his Father. Indeed, Christ told the Pharisees, watch my life, my ministry, all the miracles and good works that I do, and you will see the Heavenly Father. Everything I do is a reflection of who he is, and it is all meant to reveal him to you. We can read the story of Jesus found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see how he taught, how he lived, how he healed, how he fed, and how he even fought against the religious and social norms of his day. Jesus continues to reveal the heart of the Father to us today. You know, as we think about this story, the story of Jesus, the boy Jesus left behind in Jerusalem. There's many ways we can identify with this story. We can identify with Mary and Joseph and the feeling of a lost child. Maybe you children can identify with Jesus, how he might have felt being separated from his mom and dad. Perhaps we can relate to this because we have close family or friends who have gone through the heartbreak of loss, whether temporary or whether permanent. You know, we must not assume that Jesus is necessarily accompanying us or going about our business. We must assume that he's about his father's business. 
So I'd propose to you that the primary reminder for us today is to ask ourselves honestly, ask ourselves the following question. Does my life, how I spend my time, my money, my energy, reflect how Jesus is leading me today? Perhaps we would even be challenged to answer the question, how is Jesus leading you today? For some of us, that might be a new thing to ask. You know, but as we've seen, being a disciple of Christ means seeking and knowing where Jesus is moving, even if it's not right where we expected him to be. Discipleship is about asking that question. Does my time, my money, my energy reflect how Jesus is leading in my life today? But if and when we notice the lack of his presence in our lives, we must be resolved to hunt for him, to search for him, like Mary and Joseph, to backtrack a day's journey and then to look in the giant city of Jerusalem for a day. We must commit ourselves to search and hunt if we find that he's not where we thought he was. So how do we do that? How do we here on this day in 2018, how do we do that? How do we search for Jesus? I'd propose a few things. First, we search for him by reading the scripture. Um, Jesus reveals to himself by the way he lived, the stories in his scripture. If you don't already have a plan of being in the scripture, I'd encourage you to start. It's a great time. The new year is always a time to start new things. If you have no other place to start, just continue the story in Luke chapter three this week. Continue to read and ask yourself, Jesus, how are you revealing yourself to me in this story? Just enjoy the scripture. The second way we hunt for Jesus' presence is by spending time in prayer. Prayer can be challenging for many of us if we're honest. We may feel that prayer is difficult or that we have a hard time focusing. Some of us might even feel like prayer is hollow. It just doesn't seem to do anything, if we're honest. We might feel that all prayer is is bringing our own list of needs and concerns before God, and so we're just praying through the list, and that's a good thing. We should be interceding for others and for our concerns before Christ, but if our prayer is just one-dimensional in that way, it might feel hollow to us. So I'll give you a challenge, give you some homework. Next time you pray, let's pray a little differently. And if, if you haven't prayed this way, maybe this will be new for you. Set aside 15 minutes, maybe 30 minutes. Find a quiet place and take some pen and paper. That's important, pen and paper's important. Leave your device behind for this one. And pray this prayer, Lord, show me the heart of Jesus in my life today. Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to bless? And how can I walk in step with you? So just a pretty simple prayer. Lord, show me your heart. Show me where you want me to go and who you want me to bless and how I can be living for you. And then just begin writing your thoughts. Just start writing the thoughts that come to mind. No, don't write your grocery list. Don't start writing like your to-do list. Got to change the oil in the car or whatever. There's a time for that, but this isn't it. 
Just be writing what comes to mind as you pray that prayer. And you can trust, you can trust that these thoughts are inspired by the heart of God because you placed yourself in God's hands and said, inspire me. So you can trust what's coming to mind is the heart of God. And if, if you are concerned about that idea, maybe that idea seems like way wild to you, just hold it up to Scripture. Does this idea compare to what I saw Jesus doing in the Bible? Does this thought hold up to what I see in the Paul, Paul's letters? Compare it to Scripture. Pray to God, Lord, is that idea really something you want me to do? Seems crazy. But if you pray that prayer, if you hold it next to Scripture, you can trust it, that you've heard from God. So sometimes, just mixing up our prayer life by asking a question and exercising the idea of listening as we pray. And thirdly, we experience, we can find God's presence if we notice that Jesus is missing by partaking in the sacraments, by doing exactly what you're doing here, by meeting together, fellowshipping with believers, by coming to the table, which we'll do here in just a minute, to partake in communion. Through baptism, if any of you haven't been baptized, maybe this is your year. Kids, adults, maybe this is your year. By partaking in the, in the sacraments, we can find Christ. And again, the final reminder, don't give up until you find him. We also must expect that when we do find Jesus, he's likely not doing or saying the thing that we heard him doing and saying last time. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes if you're not hearing anything from the Lord, you can just trust that the last thing he said, let me just keep doing that until I hear something different. But as long as you're asking the question, Lord, what are you doing? What would you like me to be doing? Be faithful if he says something different than what you experienced last time. We shouldn't be disappointed when he's moving us into unfamiliar or uncomfortable territory. How many of you guys can identify with that? There's been a moment when Jesus was pulling you into uncomfortable or unfamiliar territory. Sometimes we can just say, I doubt it. That's probably not Jesus. And then we find ourselves lagging behind while he's going ahead. And we also need to take courage and follow, be obedient once he reveals himself. Remember that um, maybe you have never invited Jesus into your heart. Maybe you've never even asked Jesus to join you on your journey. So that might be a good first step, to ask Jesus to join you on the journey. And of course, for some of us, maybe we've journeyed with Jesus, but we recognize it's probably as much our fault as anyone else's that we're not identifying with Jesus because if we're honest, we recognize we've gone our own way. We've gone astray out of our own selfishness, out of our own sinfulness. And so repentance. And so today, may we look honestly at ourselves, our relationships, our business, and ask Jesus, are you here? May we courageously seek to find Jesus if we find him missing, and may we faithfully and obediently follow his leading when he makes himself known to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for revealing this truth to us today. And God, on this day after Christmas and 
this Sunday before Epiphany. God, while we recognize that this is a, a challenge for us, this is a challenge for us to be seeking and following you, God, we recognize that you're faithful and you're good. Thank you so much for challenging our hearts. And Lord, like you replied to your, your mother and father, why were you looking for me? You know where I am. I'm about my father's business. And so, Lord, as we ask you, Jesus, where are you in our lives? May you answer honestly, and Lord, may you call us to join you, to walk step by step with you on the journey. And if that means we have to speed to catch up with you or we have to slow down in order to uh, meet up with where you were, God, we ask that you would give us your grace to do that. We love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.